0: O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us worship the Lord our God.
1: The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?
2: The Lord is the stronghold of my life.
1: Of whom shall I be afraid? I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be
2: strong and let your heart take encouraged. Wait for the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, from the beginning you have willed to work through the ordinary to bring your creation to completion through Jesus Christ. At creation you took ordinary clay to fashion the human form. In Jesus Christ you yourself took on that ordinary form in order to live a fully human life among us. And even now, in Holy Spirit, you call to us, ordinary as we are, to do extraordinary deeds of love and justice in his name. Therefore, you have proven yourself the God who loves the ordinary and works miracles in the everyday. And therefore, we worship you and praise you and adore you Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: Grace and peace and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered here in our sanctuary and everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in God's name that we gather, our word of welcome is one that is extended without qualification at all. All are welcome in Christ's house, and all are welcome here. I'd like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall. That's just out this door to my right, down a short ramp, and there you will find some light refreshments, and most importantly, the opportunity for us to speak with one another. I'd like to highlight a few things out of the announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular attention. The first is to note that we are in the midst of an ongoing Lenten goods drive for three of our mission partners. During the time of offering, our ushers will put receptacles right in front of the offering uh, of the communion table, and you may make your offering by bringing it forward. And I would just remind you, I encourage everyone to think of this as a Lenten discipline, not to come to the house of the Lord empty handed, but to come with something to benefit someone else you'll see that there is a list of items that are requested that is available uh, both outside this door and in the narthex and also on our church website. And if you prefer to uh, give virtually to do that, you will find there is a sign-up genius that very much will equip you to uh, make a donation online and have it sent directly here to the church, and you can skip the step of carrying it here. The Band of Boomers is sponsoring a Black History walking tour of Philadelphia. You'll see information about that in your bulletin and also about our ongoing Lenten series on the parables of Jesus. At this point in our service, I call on Kay Kinsey to give us a minute permission about the Soul Shot Portrait Project.
3: Thank you, Baron. Good morning. I'm here today on behalf of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force of the Missions Committee to extend a personal invitation to our Saturday, April 2nd, Soul Shot Portrait Project exhibition. It begins at four with the program and uh, begins at four with the program from five to six. You have in your bulletin this wonderful insert that Patty Sassily developed. There are also other materials on the website, so be sure and go to that. This small nonprofit organization matches professional artists with families who would like a portrait made of a family member who was killed by a gunshot or shots. A son, a daughter, a mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, Cousin, our program on the twenty on the April second will include comments by State Senator Art Hayward, a tireless advocate for fun for gun safety, and a mother who lost a son and an artist. Over two years ago, when this task force was formed, it was very discouraging when it became clear that so many elected officials at both the national at the national, state, and local levels will not commit to even the simplest safety proposals, regardless of safety advocacy by many groups. Even the horrible death toll seems to make no impact on them. Then throughout the pandemic, community gun safety outreach activities of the church were canceled, and in that time we learned more about the devastation caused by gun violence and our thoughts turn to supporting existing efforts to help the healing of individuals, families, and whole communities traumatized by gun deaths. Very fortunately, Cindy Jarvis, head of the task force, introduced us to the Souls Shot Portrait Project. To make this event as meaningful as we wish, you won't be surprised to hear that we need a lot of volunteers. We can use one or two people who can help hang the portraits on Friday, April 1st, and then take them down at the end of the month uh, after the exhibition closes. Our biggest volunteer need is for monitors to be in Old Buttonwood Hall on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when the exhibition is open to the public from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. One or two people can work shifts each of those days or one person might stay the whole time. To sign up, please go to our website or talk with Diane Rogers. We ask you to tell your friends, families, neighbors, and co-workers about this unusual opportunity. We have heard that the families are very pleased with their location in Center City. Please come on Saturday to experience this extraordinary exhibition and to help welcome our guests from the broader community. Perhaps you will be moved to join our task force, which is open to everyone. I recently learned that a synonym for the word healing is the word repair. It is clear that Soul Shot Portrait Project provides healing and repair for the people left behind by the violence about whom we rarely hear. And the idea that our church can participate in the healing and repair process is very powerful and true to the values of our church and denomination. Thank you.
1: We remember in this Lenten season that God is holy, pure, and just, and we are not. We, as a community of faith, prepare our hearts and minds for worship by first confessing who we are and what we owe. Let us join together in our common prayer of confession. Holy God, We know that we may rest in the promises of our baptism. We know that your grace rests on us this day and every day. Never for a moment are we outside of your constant care, and yet things happen. Life tumbles in, and your promises seem distant. We retreat into fear. We worry about what we cannot change. Forgive our anxious fears. Lead us to be the people you created us to be, disciples of Jesus Christ, in whose name we take our prayers. Amen. This saying is true and worthy of full acceptance that Christ died for sinners. Brothers and sisters, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first reading from the New Testament is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter, beginning at the 17th verse. Listen for the word of God. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live lives as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them. And now I tell you again, even through tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of His glory by the power that also enables Him to make all things subject to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy, And my crown stand firm in the way of the Lord, my beloved. The Gospel lesson is taken from Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Jesus is preaching to the crowd when he's taken aside by some messengers. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons. And performing cures today and tomorrow and the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. Because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. 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 The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to save it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Our Old Testament lesson is taken from the 15th chapter of Genesis, the first verse through the 12th, and then the 17th and 18th verses. Continue to listen for the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens, count the stars if you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all of these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and terrifying darkness descended upon him. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The impression that one keeps one's word is the foundation of a good name, I think. Indeed, the admonition arises from Jesus' own lips, and then it is repeated by James, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Keeping one's word is a hallmark of trustworthiness. Think of your relationships with your spouse or your children or your parents. Untold damage can be done to one's credibility simply by going back on your word. I have a dear friend who once told me that the cornerstone of her mother's effectiveness in threat-making was that she never once made an empty threat Throughout childhood, adolescence, and early adulthood, not one threat was made that was not carried out. So much so was this the case that when my friend had a less than stellar first semester at Duke University and was threatened by the prospect of living in a rat-infested apartment by her mother in the event that she flunked out of school, she said, I believed her. And, she added, I was convinced that because she had never failed to deliver on a threat, that in the unlikely instance that I could find an apartment that I could afford that was not rat infested, that my mother would in fact bring the rats to my apartment to make good on her threat. Well, there's something to be said for that level of credibility, right? It must have taken extraordinary discipline to Carry out parenting with that level of consistency. So often it is easier simply to relent, to go back on an earlier declaration. All levity aside, how many empty or flippant words have been met with the skeptical rejoinder promises, promises? One's word. One's faithfulness. If it becomes doubtful, what's left? Keeping one's word is the foundation of trust. Can a deep relationship truly exist without trust? I, I guess maybe it's possible, but it will always be a limited relationship if there is no trust. Perhaps it can go on as a broken relationship if there is no trust. But when trust is absent, relationship is compromised. Corporations understand this, at least the good ones do. Once a corporation turns its attention from striking a balance between caring for its employees and returning a good investment, a dividend on investments to focusing entirely on profit and the bottom line, workers know it. Loyalty evaporates. Tenures shorten. It gets into the system. And, of course, a lifetime of quality products is forgotten instantly the minute something is perceived as compromised, ask the PR department of a couple of major auto manufacturers what it takes to rebuild a reputation if a commitment to safety is questioned. Promises, promises. How empty the phrase can sound if there's nothing to back it. One can trace the progression of the Old Testament through the keeping of promises. I know that for many Christians today, the Old Testament is something of a mystery. We we know that there are these stories of our faith. We carry them around from childhood or even from popular mythology. Everyone knows about Noah's Ark and the animals walking in two by two, we either learned about it in Sunday school or we heard it somewhere or we saw it on a mural on a wall somewhere. Or perhaps we, we know the story of the shepherd named David who took a slingshot and killed the giant Goliath. We know what a, a David and Goliath story is. It's where the little guy, the underdog, takes on the behemoth and wins. The patience of Job. We know that one, even if we haven't ever actually read Job. And whether we know any other psalms or not, we know that the Lord is our shepherd, or so we have heard. But do we know that the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, are the story of God keeping promises? Promises, promises. That's the story of our faith. A covenant is a promise. We can trace our way through God's promises and wind our way through the Bible, starting with God's promise to Noah that henceforth and forevermore, God will be on the side of humankind, sealed with a bow in the sky to remind us of God's promise. Then later, God makes a promise to Abram, or soon to be called Abraham. We read about it this morning, that God is going to bless him so that God's way in the world could be made clear by God's people, as we discussed last week. Then there's the promise to Moses when God gives the tablets of the law, that God would be the God of the Hebrews. And of course later, the promise to David himself. The whole Bible is the story of God keeping promises. But surely... The end of that Genesis passage we read this morning must have sounded odd to our ears. All that cut-up livestock must surely strike us as a bit unusual, if not downright revolting. But the dead birds and the carved-up animals mark a means of striking a covenant, a ritual to show just how important promise-keeping is. Now, in the striking of a covenant, the cutting of a covenant, to use the Hebrew term, both parties of the covenant are to walk between the halves of the animals to mark their promises, and the import is clear. May thus and worse happen to me if I do not keep my promise. The bigger the animal, the bigger the promise. And this is is a veritable menagerie for this promise. And what is so striking about the way that this particular covenant unfolds is that God does not permit Abram to perjure himself. That God intends to make this covenant is very clear. That God expects Abraham to keep his covenant is also clear. And yet, God declines to invite Abraham to invite destruction onto himself by making a covenant that he is going to break. And so when the time to cut the covenant comes, Abram falls into a deep sleep and God walks between the halves of the livestock as a smoldering pot and then as a flaming torch, marking and making the promise for both of them. That's the sort of God we worship. The God of promises kept and prevenient mercy. God expects Abram to keep his promise, and yet God also knows it's not such a straight line from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land between the Euphrates and the great river of Egypt. God seems to know that Abram's walk to the covenant is going to come in fits and starts amidst moments of failure and mistrust. And is there ever failure and mistrust? Last week, we highlighted some of Abraham's more boneheaded moves, but today, in the spirit of full representation, we should acknowledge that Sarah herself also had moments where she appeared to take complete leave of her senses. Growing impatient with God to make good on the promise of offspring, Sarah cooks up a scheme whereby Abraham would impregnate her maid, And I know that sounds absolutely odd to us, but the idea wasn't that far outside of common practice in those days. The maid would bear her child quite literally onto Sarah's lap, and then Abraham and Sarah would raise that child as their own. But that's not the promise God made. As we heard from the lesson this morning, the promise that God made was offspring of their own issue. At one turn and the next, the promise seems to be ready to go off the rails. No wonder God made the executive decision to implement this covenant directly. Keeping promises is so important that God took the keeping of promises Onto God's own self. And God has always been in the promise keeping business. As we said, it's the story of God's kept promises that form the Bible. <clears throat> in the Plan B God, Mark Actemeyer counts out all the ways that God has had to rescue the promise by resorting to Plan B. Listen. Plan A at the creation was for Adam and Eve to continue in loving and faithful obedience to God and to fill the earth with their loving and faithful and obedient offspring. But plan A wound up on the rocks, and from that point on, the entire witness of the Bible is the story of God bringing blessing and redemption and salvation to a fallen world that stands outside the pattern of God's original intention— Plan A expectations would assume that the chosen people would arise from an attractive and vigorous couple who could get the clan started off with a large number of strong and healthy offspring. God ostentatiously underscores the plan B nature of redemption by bringing forth the chosen people from Sarah and Abraham, an infertile couple who are long past the years of childbearing. Plan A expectations would assume that the chosen nation would become strong and prosperous and independent. Yet, plan A winds up on the rocks as God's chosen people fall into slavery and captivity in the land of Egypt. And the whole story of Exodus is God's execution of an alternative plan B in order to bring blessing. So much is it the case that God resorts to plan B to rescue the promises that are sabotaged and inadvertently subverted that Actemeyer drew the conclusion that even the cross of Jesus stands as a plan B rescue of promises pushed dramatically amok. Note this carefully, he writes, God's redemption of the world through the cross of Christ is a plan B arrangement that stands dramatically apart from God's ordinary plan A religious establishment of the holy temple and the holy priesthood in the holy city of Jerusalem. This is the God we worship, the God who uses whatever means necessary to make good on God's promises the God we worship is the God who will find creative and new ways to make sure the promises are kept, even resorting to plan B when necessary. When Jesus shows up on the scene in Mark's gospel, you see, he is introduced with virtually no fanfare. Simply the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is Matthew and Luke who flesh out the story, and I don't mean by the birth narratives, I mean by the genealogies, by the listing of the begats and the born-ofs at the beginning of those gospel accounts. Because each one of those begats and born-ofs represents a promise that God has kept. And if you wonder why it's so important, why I'm going on so much about the importance of remembering that God is the God of promises kept, it is because someday... We are all going to need to know that God's word is good. Some of you have probably noticed by now that I always use the same charge to close the service on our communion Sundays. And I've told some of you why, but I'd like to tell you all why now. Many years ago, I was awakened early in the morning by a call to the hospital for the grandson of a member of the church I was serving at the time. The young man had been brutally attacked in the middle of the night as he lay sleeping on the couch in the living room of his family's home. As I rounded the corner of the hallway into the intensive care unit where he lay dying, his mother took one look at me and said, Get away from me. I don't want to hear any part of what you have to say about God today. So I slipped quietly into the background spoke to his grandmother briefly, and then left. For weeks, the young man lingered between life and death. But finally, the time came to unhook the machines and allow his body to do what it needed to do to end his suffering. So finally, his body peacefully gave out, and he died. Sometime after the funeral, we had a communion service at the church And as the last hymn was concluding, I was struggling for something that I could say that could wrap up the service before the benediction. And as I struggled for the words, they came to me, and you've heard me say them many times. Remember that you are God's beloved who have been to the table of the Lord, and remember that you are God's beloved who will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. So I said these words, and I pronounced the benediction and I went out to the narthex to shake hands as folks exited the sanctuary. When the line of people had left the church, I walked back into the sanctuary and saw his grandmother sitting on the pew. So I slid into the pew behind her and waited. After a few moments, she said, That's the promise, isn't it? Yes, I replied. That's the promise. And that is what we say at baptism. Never, never, never are we outside of the grace of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. As we celebrate the sacrament of baptism, we have some very special members. I would like to come sit over here so they can see things going on a little bit better. So come on over. Okay, why don't you all have a seat right there? (laughs) Okay. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hear as well these words from Holy Scripture that the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And so obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, We baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. So let us remember with joy our own baptism, even as we celebrate this sacrament.
3: On behalf of the session, I present Devin Catherine Reek, daughter of Crystal and Nicholas Reek, to receive the sacrament of baptism.
0: Crystal and Nick, in presenting your daughter for baptism, it is right that you should make public answer to these questions. Do you desire that she should be baptized? We do. Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and teach that faith to your child?
3: Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Devon by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ, and to be faithful, a faithful member of his Church? If so, please respond by saying, we do. We do.
0: And I have one more set of questions to ask, and it is to those of you who will be closest to Devon. Will you play with her? Will you be friends with her? Will you teach her what it is to be a member of the church? Wonderful. Thank you. Through baptism, we enter the covenant that God has established. Within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we will serve by turning from evil and turning to Jesus Christ. And as God embraces your child within the covenant, I ask you for her sake to reject sin to profess your faith in Christ Jesus and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. And I invite the entire congregation to stand and together for us to confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you.
3: And also with you.
0: Lift up your hearts.
3: We lift them up to the Lord.
0: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
3: It is right to give our thanks and praise.
0: Let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of the promised land. In the waters of Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. So we thank you, O God, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. From it we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send your spirit to move over this water that may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise Devon to new life. Graft her into the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon her that she may have the power to do your will, to continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory, now and forever. Amen. Is the Christian name of your daughter. Devon Catherine. Devin Catherine, daughter of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. This is Devon Catherine. And she is the newest baptized member of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And today you have made her an extraordinary promise in a world that sometimes seems to be short on commitment. You have committed yourselves to show her by the manner of your life, by what you say and what you do, what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as always, I admonish you to take that promise with the utmost of its seriousness. And so I invite you once again to affirm it by standing and singing together the Aaronic benediction.
1: Now remembering all that we have, and all we have is come as a gift from God. Let us return to God the gifts that we have taken from God's abundance and the prayers of our hearts with our morning offering. Remembering whether we make our gifts online or following the service, God loves a cheerful. These are the words of the psalmist. When in my distress I called to the Lord, God's answer was to set me free. The Lord is on my side. I have no fear. What can anyone do to me? Let us pray. All powerful, all wise, all loving God, from the beginning, You have willed the life, the health, and the freedom of your creation, promising your very self to your creatures when you covenanted to be our God. Even when we had abandoned you for gods and goals of our own choosing, you did not abandon us to our self-made destruction, but rather once more you pledged your very self to us by becoming one with us in Jesus Christ. In him we see our lives upheld, our wholeness as persons maintained, our freedom as human beings defended. In him and by his resurrection, we know you to be eternally by our side. We have no cause to fear. Even now in Holy Spirit, you call us to keep covenant with your creation, even as you have. You call us daily to pledge our very selves to the human cause, as you have done in Jesus Christ. Gracious and merciful God, you alone know how well or how poorly we have responded in gratitude to your call. How well we have upheld the worth and dignity of our lives and the lives of others. How well or how poorly we have sustained the wholeness and health of others how well or how poorly we have defended the freedom and liberty of every living creature. We troth, with what faith and hope and love we have been given to do your will. It seems there is always one more job to do, and too few people able to do it. Yet ever faithful God, ever loyal God, You have never given up on your beloved human creatures. And therefore, we cannot give up on humanity or the human cause either. As your wisdom finds us work to do and service to render, we ask only for the grace to hear your call and look to you for the strength and humor we will always need. And as always, we begin all our work with prayer. Giver of every good gift, we remember that you alone are the source of all energy as we attempt to apply our work to the troubles of the world. And so even when we can do nothing more, we are always invited to pray. So even as we work for the health of the world And we pray for the sick, the dying. We pray for the troubled, the hungry, the abused, and the vice-ridden, and the neglected. Even as we work for justice, we pray for justice. We pray for the poor, for the oppressed, for the terrorized, the warred upon, the victimized. innocent the refugee. And even as we work for freedom, we pray for freedom. We pray for those imprisoned by ignorance or by their own bigotry, by the myths of their minds or the legends of their peoples, or by vicious ideologies or phantoms of their own creation. We pray for those proclaim the truth in the face of violence. For those who are imprisoned for their conscience' sake, we pray for all who defend human freedom. We pray for all who work for genuine and lasting peace. Lord, who hears our prayers. Lord, who sets us free to live and to hope and to love. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have announced your verdict on the whole of the human cause, and you have assured us of an everlasting victory. Therefore, we bless you and praise you for your justice and mercy. Therefore, we ask for the faith and hope and love we need each day to do your will and to persevere in all the places where we find ourselves. We ask this In the name and for the sake of the one who now lives and reigns forever, even Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us always to pray with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
0: now, as God's beloved, in the sure and certain knowledge that the promises of this font and the promises of this table will always be good, because God is the one who has founded them. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.